Hello everyone, this is Jerome. I serve as a community pastor here at First Christian Church. Welcome to our brand new podcast. I'm so glad that we get to serve you today through this message. God bless you. Let's get into the Word. Well, good morning, FCC. It is good to be here with you and here with you uh, online. And good to be able to come and share the Word of God with you today. Uh, We are on a journey here at FCC. We are on a journey to be like Jesus. And on this journey to be like Jesus, we're in a stage called four-chair discipleship. And in the four-chair discipleship, the idea is that we move from chair to chair to chair as we progress more in being like Jesus. The first chair we saw was the seeker's chair. This is the chair that we were in when we were looking for truth. We were looking for answers. We were looking for joy and peace and forgiveness of sin. We were looking for God. And God found us. And we came to know Him. And we believed in Him as our Lord and Savior. We put our trust in Him for our salvation. Then we moved to chair two, which was the believer chair. We had been born again. We were now children in a new world. And like babies, we had to learn to talk. That's to pray. We had to learn how to read the Word of God. We had to learn how to speak and share the Word of God with others. We had to learn how to feed ourselves and feed others with the Word of God. And all that was part of chair two, the new believer chair. And during this chair, In this chair, we began to know Jesus better and better and better. It was wonderful to be in this place. It was like going on those mission trips with Jesus that the apostles went on when they were in the new believer's chair. Now, today we're going to move to the third chair. And the third chair is called different things in different places, but it basically is this. It's the disciples' chair, or we could call it the workers' chair. I like to call it the apprentice chair because we're working and we're learning so that we can become like Jesus in the fourth chair, which is the fruit-bearing chair. So today we're going, to, we're going to focus in on chair number three, the disciples chair. And in order to do that, what I would like to do is I would like us to go back and look at the calling of Peter and the other disciples. We, we, we studied it a couple of weeks ago in, in Matthew chapter 4, uh, and today we're going to look at it in more detail and tell the story from Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. So if you want to turn to that place, you can follow along as I share it with you. Now we have this thing called connection groups, and in my connection group uh, that I'm in, we learn the story during the week and we, we tell it, so I'm going to assume that you've been reading your book and you've You've told the story, and you're somewhat familiar with it, so I'm going to go into a little more depth. depth. And uh, if you're not in a connection group, could I encourage you to be in one? Uh, It's awesome, and it's going to be the place where we're going to be like Jesus. We can't do it on just one hour a week, folks. We need that interaction with others in the body of Christ. So anyway, let's talk about Simon. Simon Peter and how he moved to chair number three, the disciple chair. Well, the day hadn't started very well for Peter. In fact, uh, he had netfished all night on the Sea of Galilee with his brother, 
And they were professional fishermen. They knew how to fish, but that night they had caught absolutely nothing. And so they're putting their nets back in their boat as they're beginning to take head for shore. And they hear this, this voice saying, saying to them, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they look to the shore, and there they see the rabbi Jesus, whom they had gone on mission trips with, and they had gotten to know and follow and believe in that he was the Messiah and the Lord. And this was the invitation they had been waiting for, to be able to go full-time in discipleship with Jesus. And we read in Matthew chapter 4, that uh, 19, that they left everything, or rather, they, uh, they, at once they left their nets and they followed him. Now, what happened after that? Luke chapter 5. Little intermission. What did they do after they went to follow Jesus? You know what I think? They went out and had breakfast with him. And they sat down, they talked with Jesus and got to know him better. They talked about their night, about how, how bad you know, how bad the fishing was that evening, and Jesus listened. And then they talked with Jesus, and Jesus said, well, guys, get a pack. We're going. And so maybe they headed home, and they packed up a few things, made their bedrolls and stuff like that, and they met back together with Jesus. Jesus said, meet me on the shore of, uh, of Galilee. So they, they met on the shore of Galilee, and uh, they actually met pretty close to where Peter and James and John had left their bo boats and their nets. And a crowd starts gathering around Jesus, as happens so often, because he had come to hear the word of God. And the crowd got bigger and bigger, and as they got bigger and bigger, the crowd got bigger. They pressed closer so that they could hear Jesus speaking to them. So the crowd kept getting closer and pressing on them. Jesus would take a step back, and they'd press more. They'd take a step back, and pretty soon he has to decide, am I going to walk on the water, or am I going to wade in it? He looks over and he sees Peter's boat and he says, Peter, bring the boat here. So Peter hops in the boat, Jesus hops in the boat, and they pull it out a little ways from shore. And, and Jesus sits in the, in the boat and he, he talks to the crowd and he teaches the word of God to them. After a little while, Jesus sends them away. And he turns to Peter and he says something that totally surprises Peter. He said, Peter... Put the boat out into the deep water and let down your, your net for a catch of fish. And, and Peter thinks to himself, what's this? He just told us to leave it all and follow him. What's all this? He wants me to go and fish? Besides, Peter's a professional fisherman. His father was a fisherman. His grandparents were fishermen. Everybody knows was fishermen. The whole village were fishermen. And they all knew there were no fish in the water right now. Why would he go out in the middle of the day to try to catch fish? Besides, Peter's thinking to himself, I don't want to clean these nets again before we leave. <laughs> and, but, but he thinks to himself, you know, I've learned when Jesus says to do something, you better do it. I remember when he told us to gather all those jugs of water and he turned it into wine. I better do this thing. So Peter turns the boat around. They go out into deep water and they let down the net. And bang! Wow, the miracle happens. I mean, we are told that, we are told that uh, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. These good nets that they had. 
So they signaled their partners in the other boat, James and John, to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Now, you're probably thinking they had little rowboats. No, they had big fishing boats, the kind of ones that can put out big nets into the water. They could see 10, 12 people. These were big boats. And both of them begin to sink in the water. What an incredible thing. So many fish, all of a sudden, all at once. Now think about it. There were no fish in this water all night long when the fishing is supposed to be good. Now, when Jesus says, hey, put your nets in the water, in the middle of the day, the water is teeming with fish. More fish than they'd ever seen in their lives. And these veterans never had a catch like they did like this. Wow! What an incredible thing. So here's the question. So why did Jesus do this incredible miracle? Oh, so they'd have a lot of fish. No. Luke 5.11 says this, when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Leaving everything means they left what? All of those fish. So why catch them? Well, Jesus had to have something else in mind. And what Jesus was doing now is something that he had begun to do before, but he's going to really do intensely now. He is going to put he is going to put his students into the school of discipleship. It's learning time. The classroom is always open. The teacher is always teaching. So what was he teaching his disciples? I think you can think of some of them. He was, he was teaching his new fishers of men that he really meant it when he would say later, all authority in heaven and on earth. Authority over the fish of the sea, authority over the bread, authority over the water, authority over the clouds, authority over the demons, authority over Satan, authority, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, go and fish for men. Go and make disciples. That's something we have to remember. We are not, when we go out to make disciples, we're not doing this on our own. When we go into chair three, we are in it with Jesus. And he has all authority and all power, and he can gather the fish when he wants to do it. The second thing it shows us is this, faith obedience. Peter could say to himself, I think he's crazy. Trying to let down the nets in the middle of the afternoon. Everybody's going to think I'm weird, that I don't know how to fish. Ah, but this is Jesus talking. And I am going to do what he says and look for the surprise. Folks, Jesus, when we enter chair three, there are going to be things that Jesus is going to instruct us to do that we're going to say, think is crazy. Give 10% of your, 10 of your, your, uh, your money to the Lord as a tithe. That's crazy. Do it and see what happens. You know, turn, your, turn the other cheek when somebody... Uh, when somebody insults you. Love your enemy. This is crazy. Do it. Also, he, was, he did this miracle to teach his new fishermen that they were not going to just catch a few fish. When they let down their nets, it wasn't just a few fish that popped into the boat. 
They swamped them. They swamped two boats. And Jesus was telling his disciples, when we go fish for men, we're not going to boat just a few fish. We're going to swamp the boat. I've got big plans. I'm going to build my church. And today, folks, that, that, that catch of fish has us sitting here in this place in the United States 2,000 years later. Billions of fish have been caught and the boat is swamping. Vision. He was giving them the vision. And he also did this to teach his new fishermen the humility that they would need in order to catch sinful men. Now imagine that picture. Jesus says to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And Peter and, Peter and James and John and Andrew are thinking, hmm, we are now disciples of the Messiah. God chose us. We're going to go out there and we're going to catch those sinners. Because we're special. Jesus is going to show them that they really aren't. So what happens to Peter? This is a little pride. Peter is utterly astonished by the catch of fish and by, and by Jesus' awesome and fearful character. This was his new master, this awesome person who could caught all the fish together in one place at one time. You know, we, we sang a song a few weeks ago, and we sing it very often, and it has a chorus like this. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord. And we sing it over, over and over again. To be overcome by your presence, Lord. And we have this idea that we'll be dancing and stuff like that. Well, what does it look like when you're overcome by the presence of the Lord? I never saw anybody dance. All the places I read in Scripture, they fell on their faces. And that's exactly what Peter does. He falls on his face before the Lord. The fear of the Lord comes upon him. How could I give a picture to you of this? I, I've been thinking, maybe, I remember when, years ago, I went to an IMAX theater, which was kind of like this, you know, the whole, whole, all the walls and the ceiling is, is a big screen. And what I went to it to watch was the takeoff of the space shuttle. And so I sat there, and it was like I was right there. I went up the rockets. I went down the rocket. I was under the rocket. I was right there under the rocket when it went 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And all of a sudden, the room is just shaking. And I'm watching as, as, as this tremendous thrust goes up. And, it, you know, and this rocket, this huge behemoth, behemoth thing, just goes lifting into the air. And everybody in the room goes, oh, wow. What power, what magnificence, what glory. And all of us walked out of there. Whew. But you know, over the years, I kind of forgot that. As space shuttle after space shuttle took off until Challenger. It blew up. And I remember what one news commentator said. What we forget is this. Every time we launch somebody on one of those ships, they are riding fire. Peter suddenly realizes, my God, 
I'm riding fire. This Jesus who just asked me to be his disciple. Folks, that's where we need to be. And Peter, he's so overwhelmed by this, what does he do? It says here, he falls at his feet in the boat and he cries out to Jesus, depart from me. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O God. What we see in, our, in the presence of the Lord, we see our sinfulness. We see our shortcomings. We see ourselves as we really are, and we don't like to look at ourselves to be. And we see it. And he thinks this, he says, Lord, it basically he says, Lord, in your presence I see my sinfulness, and I'm disgusted with me, and I'm terrified by you. Depart from me, Holy One of God. I don't deserve your calling. Is he humbled enough? Yeah, now he's ready to serve. I'm a sinner saved by grace. That's the difference between me and the person who hasn't yet found Jesus. And then he does this. He, he did this miracle to teach his new fishers and men the depths of his mercy and grace toward them and toward you and me. Peter begs Jesus. He begs him. He says, he says depart from me, for I am a sinful man. But what does he do? To, in order to do this, he falls at Jesus' knees. And he says, depart from me. Now, would you do that if you wanted to get distance between you and Jesus? Peter could have jumped out, out of the boat and swum away. He says, <laughs> I'm getting away. Peter is really saying this. He's saying, I, want, I, 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 I don't deserve your presence. Depart from me, Holy One. I'm a sinful man, but please don't leave. Please don't leave. I, I want to go with you. I want to follow you. I want to be a fisher of men. I, I, I want to have more of your glory. I want to have more of your presence. But... I don't deserve it. And what does Peter, Jesus do? You're right, you scum. <laughs> no. Jesus smiles and he says, Peter, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to catch men. You're ready. Wow. We say when we see the presence, of, oh, depart from me. And Jesus says to us, no. Follow me. That's my mercy. That's my grace. It's new to you every day. Every day you get up. I'm there. I'm ready. Follow me. And I will make you a fisher of men. And I'll transform you into my, into my likeness. Now, Peter goes into chair three. So here's the question that we want to ask to ourselves is this. How do we move through chair three? How do you and I move through chair three? Like Peter, how do we do it? And, and I found the best place to give an answer to that for us as starters is Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. Now, this, this was an impossible task to, to try to put all this into a half-hour message. So I'm just going to give us the start of this. Now listen, listen to what it says here. Paul is writing, it says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies. He had just spent 11 chapters talking about the wonderful mercies of God toward us. Peter had just had this great lesson 
where he had seen God's mercy toward him that says, yeah, I know what you are. I know what you were. I know what you will be. Follow me. We're going to catch men together. He says, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good and pleasing and perfect will. The first thing we have to do in chair three is we really have to sit down and experience and know God's mercies toward us. To, 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 to realize how, how much He loves us, how much he, has, how much He has forgiven our sins, how much He knows us better than we know ourselves, and His great mercies and grace that He, he has given to us every day. Lamentations, Jeremiah says, because of the Lord's great mercy, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Wow. We have to know the mercies of God. A disciple knows and experiences God's many mercies toward him. And these mercies of God, as we reflect on them, and we think of how God has healed us, how God has forgiven us, how God has called us, how God is transforming and working inside of us, how God hears our every prayers and He answers them for what is best for us in our lives, motivated by His mercies toward us, it leads us to love and service and godliness and sanctification in our lives. Motivated by His mercies toward you, Paul says, You, offer your body as a living sacrifice to Him. Well, how do we do this? What I am to do then is I am to offer my body as a living sacrifice daily as long as I live. Well, how do you be a living sacrifice? Well, Paul goes at it in these verses. He says this, well, you do it by serving Him sacrificially. Sacrifice. We give Him the best. We give our lives to Him, our time to Him, ourselves to Him. We sang it in the song before. We, we say, we, we leave it all behind, the world and all of its things behind, and we live for Jesus Christ. We sacrifice as He sacrificed for us. We do it by serving Him reasonably. It says, it says uh, living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true, and then it says, proper worship. This is what your proper worship is, to be a living sacrifice. Why is it proper? Well, the word proper is the Greek word that we get the word logical from. Because it's logical. Think about it. Jesus came to be a living sacrifice for you. And He was a living sacrifice to you until He died. Now, he did that for you that you might have eternal life. That was his mercies toward you. Now, what's logical on your response? Paul says it to be a living sacrifice for him. To offer yourself to him. It's logical. It's reasonable. It is proper to do that. We are a living sacrifice by serving him as our true act of worship. 
I told them when they gave me this microphone to put on, make sure that they don't have it on when I'm singing. I cannot sing. I can't carry a tune in a bushel basket. But I love to sing loudly. But you know what I like is that's only about 5% of my worships. The other 95% is what I do the rest of the days of the week, being a living sacrifice for him. That is my worship. That is the sacrifice that, that Jesus, Jesus looks at day to day. And as I offer myself and live as a living sacrifice to him, he smells that sweet, that sweet odor, and he is pleased with that. That is my worship of him. We are a living sacrifice by not being conformed to the pattern of this world. Don't let the world press you into its mold, Philip's translation says. And you know, the, right now, the world is working so hard to press you into one of two molds. Either to press you in a right-wing mold where you're going to be a right-wing angry person or press you into a left-wing mold where you're going to be a left-wing angry person so you can be angry with each other What's so Christian about that? Don't let the world press you into its mold. Be a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's different from both. Be that. That's what we are called to be. And how do we become that? He says, by being transformed through the renewing of your mind. The word transform means be, is metamorphosis. Oh, we know about metamorphosis from children's it's children's science class, right? That's when the caterpillar turns into a butterfly. You know what I turn into? I turn in from, from being a worldly person with garbage in my mind to being a disciple of Jesus Christ following him. That is a real metamorphosis. As our mind is, so are we. We, we are to be transformed through the renewing of our mind. The mind is so important in all this. In chair three, it's so important, the renewing of our mind. And believe me, I, I am 73, and it's still going on with me. I'm dumping a lot of garbage still. Dump the world's garbage from your mind. Challenge every thought that the world puts at you with the Word of God. Replace, replace that garbage with His Word. Read it. Daily, study it, listen to it, memorize it, meditate on it, do it, share it. You know what will happen? As your mind transformed, you'll become more like Jesus Christ in character. Your being will change. That's chair three. And you also, you'll become more like Jesus Christ in your actions. Your doing will change. And you'll be transformed to be like Him. And then finally it says this, we're a living sacrifice by testing and proving what is the good and acceptable, perfect will of God for you. Now, what is God's will for your life? That's the question. What is God's will for my life? Well, Paul goes on. This is what this is all about. Let's look at the nuts and bolts of this. He goes on and he says, okay, I've given you this idea of being a living sacrifice, but how do we do this thing? How do we do this? And he says this, the nuts and bolts of this is learn and do body life. Romans 12, verse 3 to 8. Romans 12, verse 3 to 8. I'm going to just read the first couple of verses here. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, 
but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, here I am, here's my body, one body, many members, fingers, thumbs, ears, nose, eyes, hips, knees, legs, feet, one body, many members. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. Thank goodness. I'm glad my my finger is not a tongue. (laughs) I'm glad my nose nose is not an ear. Every body part has a different function. So, folks, in Christ, that's where we are, We, though many, look how many we are here in this room today. Though we are many, many different people, though many, we form one body. Guess what? Everybody look around. You are a body, and you're all members of that body. Some of you are fingers, some of you are ears, some of you are hair, some of you are feet, some of you are kneecaps and elbows. We're all part of the body. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Guess what? If you want to find a place where you belong, this is it. You belong. You're in this body. You belong. You're a member of it. You're a member of the body of Jesus Christ. Now, the first thing then he goes on to, and he says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Different spiritual gifts. He starts talking about spiritual gifts in the body of Christ. So here's the first thing we need to do to be a living sacrifice. Determine what your spiritual gifts are. Determine what your spiritual gifts are. Well, first of all, what is a spiritual gift? Spiritual gifts are specific Holy Spirit enablements. They are, they are divine. They're Holy Spirit enablements given to believers at the time of their new birth to serve the body of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus had all the spiritual gifts for serving others in his body. uh, John tells us he had the spirit without measure. Every gift, and he used them all as he served the body of Jesus Christ. Or he served, served us. Now, it's his body that has all the spiritual gifts. Together. They are dispersed by the Holy Spirit in the individual members of his body. Oh, they've been dispersed to you. You've got them. You've been given the gifts. Each of us was baptized by the Holy Spirit into Christ's body at our spiritual birth. We were joined to the body of Jesus Christ. We became part of his body. And when that happened, all believers receive at least one spiritual gift when they are born again by the Spirit of God. Just like when we are born physically, we receive natural talents and abilities. When we are born again of the Spirit of God, we receive spiritual gifts to do spiritual things. In 1 Corinthians 12, 7, Paul says, Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit, that is a spiritual gift, is given for the common good. In, Roman, in 1 Corinthians 12, 11, it says, all of these gifts are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He 
determines. So when you were born again, you received spiritual gifts. You know what that makes you? It makes you a gifted child. Come on, I've always wanted to be a gifted child. <laughs> You're a gifted child. Hey, let's just say that. We have, to have, we have to identify ourselves. I am a gifted child of God. Let's say that. I'm a gifted child of God. Amazing thing. Turn to the person next to you and say, and you're a gifted child of God. That's an amazing thing. All of us are gifted children. And when I present my body as a living sacrifice, what am I doing? I am presenting my body, which is physically skilled and spiritually gifted by God, I'm presenting that spiritually gifted God body back to God to serve Him in His body. My living sacrifice is to serve God with the gifts that He has given me. Now, there are over uh, 20 gifts listed in the Scripture. And out on the, uh, out on the table, the uh, guest services table in the back, We'll have, we'll have a list of those spiritual gifts for you so you don't have to copy that list down. But here's, there will be a list of the spiritual gifts for you to get a copy of and see what they are. But they include things like prophecy, which is telling forth the Word of God like I'm doing right now this morning. It's serving or using the gift of helps. Teaching is a spiritual gift. Counseling is a spiritual gift. Giving is a spiritual gift. So is leading and mercy. They are all gifts. There are 20 or more of them that we see in Scripture. Now, I don't have time to go over them, but you will be able to see the list here. And there's also in the back, there will be a little booklet called Unwrap Your Spiritual Gifts, which will give you a list of the gifts, give you a definition of the gifts. So you'll know what the gifts are and what each one is involved with. And you can get that at the guest service table too afterwards. Now, if we run out, we'll have more of them next week. But please be sure to pick up a copy of that. The important thing for us to see is that we are all members of Christ's body when we're born again. And our gifts determine which body part we are. Okay, let me ask you, are you a nose? <laughs> are you an ear in the body? Are you an elbow? Are you a knee? Are you a kidney? Are you a foot? Are you a stomach? You know, can you imagine what a body would be like if the body parts didn't know what they were? And they're walking around saying, I don't know what I am. Maybe I'm an ear. Maybe I'm an eye. Maybe I'm a finger. Could you imagine a toe thinking, I'm an eye. No, 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 no. Oh, I'm a knee. Yeah. You know, maybe I'm a belly button. Imagine body parts not knowing what they are. You know, in order for us, you and me, to function and grow properly in chair three, we know it, need to know which body part we are. And in order for the body to function and grow, and I'm talking about FCC now, in order for the body to function and grow, we must each know what part of the body we are as well. We need to know what gifts we have been given by the Holy Spirit for the good of the body. Now, as I said, imagine an eye, imagine an eye thinking it's a kneecap or something like that. We need to know what we are so we know what function we have and where we fit in the body. You see, knowing your spiritual gift is going to do some really important things for you. It's going to give you your sense of worth. 
the Holy Spirit sovereignly and purposely and by design gave me the gifts that I have and providentially put me in this body to serve Him. Wow, that's really significant. Knowing your spiritual gift gives you your sense of belonging. I'm an elbow. The body needs me, and I need the body. body needs me as an elbow. Can you imagine if the body doesn't have me as an elbow? Ever tried to eat an ice cream cone without an elbow? Okay. You know, we belong. We are needed, and the body, we need the body, and the body needs us. We can say, in this, in this body, I am needed because of the gifts that God has given me. And also, your spiritual gift also gives you a sense of competency. I can't do anything in the body. Oh, yes, you can, because you've been given a spiritual gift, and that gift was given to you so you'd be competent to do something in the body of Jesus Christ. If he's given you the uh, spiritual gift to be a kneecap, you're going to be the best kneecap. We are going to be competent because of the gifts that God has given us. Our, one of the big problems is we're usually serving where our gifts are not, so we don't feel competent. But when you serve where your gifts are, you know the competency that has been given to you. It also gives us our sense of identity. I know I am a nose. I know I am an ear. I know what I am. I have my identity. And more, most importantly, knowing our spiritual gift gives us our sense of knowing what God's will for me is. I am an elbow. My calling, the will of God for me, is to bend. And put that ice cream cone right in the mouth. I know my spiritual gift is mercy. I know my calling from God. I care for the physical needs of others for the common good and the growth of the body. How clear could it be? So we see in chair three, our first action step is to discern what spiritual gift the Holy Spirit has given you uh, to function in his body. Read books about spiritual gifts. Start with this pamphlet here. It gives some simple instructions and beginning thoughts for you to know, dig, dig deeper into this. Take a course on spiritual gifts. Again, there's material here you could read and study and then go further from there. Take spiritual gifts assessments that help you find what your spiritual gift. This starts off with an assessment tool that you can use. Use trial and error. Once you think you know what your spiritual gift or gifts are, try them out. And then ask people, be honest. Tell me, am I doing a good job? You know, I've taught the third day class and I've built it up from 12 to 2. Maybe that's not your gift. <laughs> or maybe you built it from 12 to 24. Hey, this is the gift. But you've got to try it out. Now the second thing is, you've got to not only discover your spiritual gift, you've got to deploy it. You've got to use it. You don't have a gift just so you can tell people, I've got a gift, I've got a gift. Deploy your gifts in a service or ministry in the body of Christ. God's will for you is to use your gift in a ministry in the body of Jesus Christ. Your gift has been given you for the common good of the body, for the common good of all, and the, and, and the common good of the world. It's not for yourself. It's for God to use to build His kingdom and His church. 
We are to serve others with our gifts. Paul, Peter, Peter, who we t- started off talking about, says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. Now, I love that word serve because it's the word that we get deacon from or minister. Whatever gift you have received to minister to others. Hey, if you minister to others with your spiritual gifts, you know what you are? You are a minister. Well, this just gets better and better. I'm I'm a I'm spiritual gifted child, and now I'm, I found out I'm a minister. Yeah, the guy up front is not the only minister in the church. Never was intended to be. Each one of us is to be a minister ministering the gift that God has given to us as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various spiritual gift forms. Now, God has given you a gift and a ministry. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4 to 6, it says this. This is a great passage. You could spend hours on this one. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. Okay? That takes care of the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of service or ministries, but the same Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ is our master as we use our gifts in ministry. And there are different kinds of working or results, fruits. There are different kinds of fruits, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. Hey, want to get the Trinity involved in your life? Discover your gift. Use it in a ministry and watch for the fruits. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will be there. Isn't that great? <laughs> okay. Uh, <clears throat> now, one thing to know about your ministry is this. Your gifts don't change. You'll have the same gifts your whole life. Now, you may discover n- new ones you didn't know you had as you go on in chair three. But your ministries that you use those gifts in may change. For 40 years, I was, in, I was, I was a youth pastor and a pastor. That used, up, used my gifts there. Now, the last 10 years, I've been in missions. My ministry has changed. My gifts haven't. I use my gifts in the new ministry that he has given me in missions. When it comes to your gifts, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. When you come out and you do realize, oh, man, I got the gift of speaking. <laughs> or, uh, <laughs> you know, I've, I've got the gift of prophecy or whatever you, you say. You say, oh, it's a special gift. It's not what spiritual gift you have that pleases God. After all, he gave them to you. It's what you do with what you have to grow his body, the church. Measure yourself by how you are using your gifts in ministry because that's how God is measuring you. Remember the parable of the talents, five, two, and one talents. In Romans 12, Romans chapter 12, verse 6 to 8, it says this, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Each of us has different gifts. Now, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy. If your gift is serving, then serve. If your gift is teaching, then what should you do? Teach. If your, if your gift is to encourage or to counsel, then what? Give encouragement and counsel. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Use your gift in ministry. Measure yourself by how you're using your gift in ministry. 
Don't think too highly. Rather, Paul says, think soberly. Think sanely, it means. Here, you've discovered what your gifts are. What ministry in this body, FCC, needs your gifts? It needs your gifts. There's not a person in here whose gift is not needed. There's not a person in here who doesn't have a gift and a ministry that God hasn't planned for you. But the question you have to ask is this. What ministry in the body, FCC, needs my gift? Now, Connection Group is a ministry that needs gifts. It needs hospitality gifts. It needs gifts of shepherding in it. It needs teaching and helps. And it needs evangelism, wisdom, knowledge. Many gifts can be used to do many marvelous things through connection groups. But today, after the service, there's going to be a time to meet with the children and the youth ministers. Folks, these are ministries that need your spiritual gifts. They need people who have the gift of mercy, the gift of teaching, the gift of leadership, the gift of administration, uh, that have the gift of counseling. And you know, if they don't have those, it's like being a body that is missing certain body parts. And those body parts are here. So find, find the ministry and get into it with your gifts. Are you making full use of your gift in a ministry? Now, work as a body using your gifts and the various gifts of the other people, the other body members here, to make growing disciples in a growing church. I have to move to the closing, the big idea. Here's the big idea today. Your adventure in chair three begins with offering yourself, your gifted self, as a living sacrifice to Jesus, to use in his body, his local body here. Now, offering yourself as a living self, sacrifice includes discovering what your spiritual gifts are, developing them in ministry in the body, deploying them, rather, in ministry in the body, and then developing them to bear more fruit. So, if you want to be a living sacrifice, here's a good way to start. Make a beeline to the guest services station, pick these up, and continue to study and discover your gifts and keep looking until you deploy them in the ministry where you're going to bear fruit for him. Amen? Amen. Let's, uh, we're going to sing a song, and while we're singing the song, they're going to pass out the communion elements. Just hold on to them, and then after the song, we'll share them together. Okay?